You're listening to the Start Today Podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Mike. And this is episode 16. On manhood and how it relates to education, part two, with special guest Jesse. Welcome back, Jesse. Thank you for being our guest once again. Who's on the mic this time, though? <laughs> you already answered the question. Mike is on the mic. <laughs> it's so repetitive. And really fun to pun. Yeah. You know, this is my mic. I'm your mic. Who's my mic? There's a lot. There's a lot of mics. There's a lot of mics there. It's part you were born to play. There are four mics in this room. There is. I was thinking that actually. Right <laughs> I looked at your mic. I, you thought I was looking at you. I wasn't. I was looking at your mic. I was like, hmm. So <laughs> anyhow, <laughs> anyhow, today we're picking up part two of, I think is an important topic, especially in, in the times that we live where sometimes men are seen as, um, I don't know, aggressive, yeah, toxic, violent, toxic. toxic I was going to say, yeah. Or goofy, just idiots. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. Right. Serious. So we, um, we ended the last show, and I, well, I end, we ended the last show with not the very last thing, but towards the end, we talked about in the stories of the canon. And do do you think we need to define what the canon is? Or? Yeah, maybe maybe uh, use maybe use a different term because uh, the canon's a bit ambiguous, and it really depends on who's uh, yeah who's using that term but i would say maybe maybe if we talk about the great works because i think people are more familiar with like the great works like the the great books of western civilization okay so in in these the works and the great works i asked the question well what's the problem with just swapping out man for woman like right we were talking about the odyssey um or any of the other books that have like this format, right? right. This hero format. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the hero's journey. And before we get, you know, women clawing at the radio, at their own radio because of what they hear, whatever, why do you think it's a valid statement that women cannot right. fill in that spot? Right, yeah. I think it's uh, first, it's important to say, first and foremost, that um, it's is men men and women are complementary and the reason that you can't simply take something like uh take a work like the odyssey or the aeneid or any other uh, great heroic tale or epic tale and uh swap out a male protagonist for a female protagonist the reason you can't is because it matters so much because the hero's journey is uh is, is really an ontological reality it's like an ontological category like there does exist in the in the life of every single person a type of hero's journey. And that takes a different shape depending upon whether you're a man or a woman. It just does. Okay. Um, so if you were to take... Different. Not higher or lower, different. Oh, absolutely not. We, we talked last time about... Uh, well, Kierkegaard said the two knights of faith. Uh, two, two knights of faith, Abraham and uh, the Theotokos, the Virgin Mary. He didn't call her Theotokos. We do. The Virgin Mary. And... Um, so two two supremely important figures in Christianity, um, two completely different stories, and we would we would actually place the mother of God uh, in, in a category higher than Abraham. Um, so to say that they're different and complementary is not to say that one is better than the other, 
But uh, in the hero's journey, if if you were to take um, the figures of Penelope and Odysseus and, and flip them around, it might be satisfying for somebody who wants to believe that men are women. Um, but it wouldn't be satisfying to a person reading it, a man especially, but anybody reading it really wouldn't be satisfying to a person's soul because the... Um, the weight of the hero's journey, the reason that it has such importance in our lives is because we recognize that the hero's journey, while it may not be factual, right? Like, so none of us are going out, you know, literally to go out to slay uh, Medusa or a Cyclops or anything like Mm -hmm. that. It's not factual, but it's truthful. And we have to believe that. um, That's a, that's an interesting distinction too. Oh yeah. That's been coming up more mainstream. I think just probably, I only heard that distinction from Jordan Peterson. Right. Well, I heard it from... I'm uh, sure other people knew it way before him, but me personally. Which distinction between like truth truth and and, uh, fact? And fact. Um, Yeah. So um, Tolkien, you know, was really big on that um, as he talked about fairy, um, like the fairy tale. So... um, There was... There are are like historical truths, right? Um, You know... We had a president named Abraham Lincoln, um, but like a, maybe a higher truth would be something like saying Abraham Lincoln loved his wife, and the tale of love, th- though not the same as a historical fact, is a much higher truth than than the historical fact itself. More eternal. Yeah, more exactly, and so the and so the way you access. Um, the way you access these these eternal higher truths are through story and through narrative. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, I heard it. You heard it from Joseph Campbell. I heard it from. Uh, sorry, I just spoiled it. <laughs> you heard it from Jordan Peterson. I heard it from Joseph Campbell. And uh, a lot of people say that Jordan Peterson is just uh, kind of Joseph Campbell reskinned. And oh, okay. Joseph Campbell was you know the 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 guy who wrote the Hero with a Thousand Faces, the one that uh, George Lucas based the Star Wars, the the original saga on Joseph Campbell, and Joseph Campbell got his ideas from Carl Jung, which is also where Jordan Peterson gets his ideas. Right. So so there's a, a common ancestry. Um. And but but I mean it's also in uh, and it's in Tolkien, but and it's also in G.K. Chesterton, who was like an inspiration for uh, C.S. Lewis. He, uh, G- G.K. Chesterton actually called Christianity the fairy tale that came true. Huh. Yeah, did, uh, yeah, I know that Lewis uses that same language. Um, he talks about like Christianity, I think Tolkien does too, as the true myth, mm-hmm. um, which is really interesting. Um, I don't want to like throw you off too much, but... Um, it's easy to do. But It's so, okay, I'm keeping track. <laughs> so one of the things that, that we did recently was we took my parents to the King Tut exhibit Okay. Uh, at the California Science Center, uh, which was interesting and disappointing all at the same time. Um, super interesting exhibit, lots of interesting artifacts. Um, really interesting to sort of interact with just sort of this ancient culture. Um, disappointing because King Tut himself isn't there, hmm. which is sort of like, you're like, whoa, you get, the, you get to this room and there's this sort of coffin scene and it has a bunch of stuff that would have been buried in his coffin. And you're like, you're like, you, people are walking around to see like how he, you know, to see what's there. Cause they, you know, all the, like everything is leading to you to this like climax and you get to this point and the mo like the, the face piece that is on the actual coffin uh, which would be amazing to see. And 
King Tut himself, it, like it's all plastic, like obviously plastic too. It's not like it's not like they painted it to make it look like the real face piece. It's literally like plain plastic, uh, just like almost black plastic. And then, then all the pieces that were around, like whatever his coffin would have been, those pieces are there. But um, anyway, that's not really the point. The point is, is the the entire story of um, of, of this exhibit was told through the Egyptian people's relationship to the gods. Um, and so what was really interesting is that um, like in their, in their world, um, the, the sun rose in the morning because the God, their, their God, God Ra, the sun God woke up in the morning and it was like starting to work. And so the sun was like moving up and rising. Right. And so they had all these little stories for, for why, um, things in the natural world happen the way they do. Now, what's interesting is one, we, you start to realize really quickly, I think as a Christian, that we don't live in a culture that believes in trend, like transcendence at all. Hmm. So for us, we don't need, we like, like we think nobody stops and thinks, I don't even think Christian, I don't do this as a Christian. Um, I don't stop and think the sun rose this morning because God like actually gave us the sun right. and gave us his blessing. And he like gave us a new day. Um, even though the Psalms, you know, tell us that, um, no, I'm smart enough. And, and I almost want to like smart enough quote air quotes. Cause like, I think it's not a higher level of like, you know, intellect. It's a lower form of intellect, but I'm smart enough to know that the sun is just rising because the earth is spinning. Right. And so I don't need God to raise the sun for me anymore. And so, um, <clears throat> what, what sort of like, it's really interesting to see how their culture was wrapped up in transcendence and how we who are supposed to be, you know, Christians living in, I mean, we're living in this completely imminent world, of course, um, in this completely secular world, but like we are just completely, um, just dominated by like secular thought of, of right. like science and, and just how things work. And so we don't, we don't see that, but the Including other point, like sexuality or gender, or is, is that what you were getting at? No. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I was trying to no, tie no, no, us no, no, back. No. I'm gonna, here's how I'm going to tie it back. Um, the, the way that the Egyptian people worked through their religion was so similar to the way we do hmm. the way they buried their people. Um, the way they like thought about their daily prayers, like uh, you're watching like all this stuff and, and you're like, Oh my gosh, like, of course, like the, there, there's, you know, the, the, the sun God has a son or the God, you know, and like all of the, like you're getting all this stuff and you're like, well, we talked about that a little bit last time. We, we talked about the similarities, if I remember correctly, of, right. I first was aware of, of these things from zeitgeist and oh, yeah. All the flood stories, right? Yeah, the virgin births. The virgin the, births. All that stuff. But I think I said last time, all those things almost had to have happened for it to have been miraculous, right? Like, it's not common sense, but it makes sense that in different parts of the world, they would have, if they were smart or they were whatever the word is, 
eventually you would come to that anyways. Well, it's just that even, well, I mean, I think, I think it brings back this idea of true myth. So like Mm. even these pagan religions understood all these high truths. Um, They weren't devoid of God the way we are in our culture. Well, they at least, they at least had wonder, which is, uh, and there's that too. But when you start talking about Christianity as the true myth, in the context of like the religions of the world and how people live their life, like within these stories, it, it makes a lot of sense. But sort of talking about Christianity as a true myth in the contemporary, eminent, non-transcendent culture doesn't like you have to like work to get there. Yeah, which is it's a shame. But I mean, what you say is true. Like. If you walk outside and there's a full moon, like something, you feel something. Like you recognize, mm-hmm. wow, that that's majestic. Uh-huh. And it's because human beings are designed to worship. I mean, if we weren't designed to worship, then you wouldn't have worship appearing everywhere in every culture and every society in the history of the world. Yeah, exactly. So, so we are, you know, we're programmed, for lack of a better word, uh, to venerate things that are majestic. And um, I think it's... Uh, we we live in a culture that has very successfully propagated the uh, the nihilistic uh, secular religion very successfully. Oh yeah. So we take that as default now. Yes. And it's it's almost like a revolutionary thought for a young person that you should look up at the heavens in awe. Mm-hmm. That you just can't take this for granted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And yeah. I mean, I uh, you and I spoke about this last week a little bit, but. Um and we don't have to chase this rabbit right now too far, but we were talking about C.S. Lewis and the abolition of man Hmm. for a moment and how like in, in this book, he's presenting this case of us teaching children that um, when we have an experience, like let's say we have like experience of something beautiful, a beautiful sunset. uh, We're not actually saying anything about the sunset. When we say that the sunset is beautiful, we're only saying something about our own feelings and so even like even though we're not intending to, um, because the the books that Lewis is referencing in this in, in his book, The Abolition of Man, is just meant to teach children how to read. Um, it's not meant to teach them philosophical truths, um, but but we're framing their world in such a way where 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 what you just said, you know, you, there there's no wonder, there's nothing like there's nothing beautiful beyond my own experience or my own thought of beauty. Um, there's nothing actually beautiful, um, which is a complete tragedy. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, that's another one of those things that you're just not permitted to say. You're not permitted to say that there is such a thing as absolute beauty. You know, you know yeah. what I mean? I yeah, mean, because, yeah, yeah. because it's, um, I run into this all the time when I'm talking to young people, when we're talking about, uh, the Republic, which is a, which is a text that I teach. Um, when, when I ask them, okay, like, is there such a thing? Can you tell me, is there such a thing as absolute beauty? And the answer I get 10 times out of 10 and uh, is that no, 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 no. It's it's just what you find to be beautiful because different people find different things beautiful. Um, and the do, the you, do you think they mostly th- are thinking about like m- like other men and women or other like do they th- like are they thinking of beauty beyond sex? That's actually my question. Hmm. <laughs> I, I think when young people talk about beauty, that that is exactly what they mean. Physical beauty, yeah. Uh, you know, generally the opposite sex. I think so, and, and because that's that's where they hear it most often. Yeah. And that's actually the place that it it begins naturally. There's a um, there's a uh, there's a one of the one of the dialogues by Socrates uh, or play, by Plato actually one of the di- dialogues with Plato the Symposium talks mm-hmm. about this thing called the ladder of love, 
And it was, uh, it was popular, of course, among the Platonists, the Neoplatonists, and then again in the Renaissance, we see it appearing. Even in Romeo and Juliet, it comes out. And the idea is that um, human beings, when you're young, the first time you experience beauty is when you look at a beautiful person of the opposite sex, um, well, for most people. And, <laughs> um, and uh, so the first time you experience beauty is when you look at a beautiful person, right? And then, but then when, as you mature a little bit, you, you notice, wait a second, I just heard a beautiful song. Okay, wait a second. I use the same word to describe a beautiful person and a beautiful song. Mm-hmm. That suggests to me that there's some connection. And so the, the, the platonic teaching of the ladder of love, or the neoplatonic teaching, really, of the ladder of love is that as you recognize beauty in the world, you start to look up. You recognize, okay, wait a second. So I'm calling this person and this piece of art and this song by the same word, beautiful. That must mean that, that there's something out there that all these things partake in. There's a definition. Yeah, that's exactly that holds right. Up. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, that doesn't change. Unchanging. Because definitions, in order for them to be useful, have to be like unchanging. Like if, we, if the, the measurement of like a, a foot in America changed every time you used it, it wouldn't be useful to, to, to like describe the distance of anything or the length of anything to yeah. anybody. Uh-huh. And so the idea is that you have this criterion that's unchanging. In order for us to be able to compare things according to beauty, there has to be an un, uh, unchanging and enduring criterion. Um, and so, it's, and so, like, yeah. So, the, but that idea is a revolutionary act. And I, and and when when the first time I tell that to like a young person, like, it, I I feel like we have a really good discussion because that's something they've never heard before, uh-huh. uh, and it's uh, almost shocking to them because because the age in which we live, as you suggested, is just a. Uh, completely relativistic mm-hmm. well it's not that that isn't beauty though too right i mean even today in in um the catechism you know like men are generally obsessed with women's beauty but like on a on a dysfunctional level he didn't say dysfunction i forgot the word he said something higher than that better. yeah well if it stops there if it stops there it's it's bad yeah, but I'm just saying, like, them recognizing that women are, like, eye-catching isn't wrong. It's just that it becomes obsessive, and then that it stops there, right? Like, what? who gives it... This is something I tell kids at school when they're having a bad day, especially little kids. I don't work with little kids anymore, but I used to work with um, K-5. When this one kid was having a bad day... I would tell him, look, you have three mountain ranges in your view. Like, say it's winter time, right? Okay. This kid was a hothead. Like, he was an actual, like, he had a burst of anger. And to one side was Palm Springs, which is Mount San Jacinto. To another side was what would be, like, Big Bear, Lake Arrowhead. The other side would be Mount, Mount, Mount High. I'm like, dude, look at what you have around you. Like, it just rained. All three mountains in your view are snow-capped right now. We live in the desert, and you look at three snow-capped mountains in your view. Was this basketball game really that big of a deal? Like, that's (laughs) kind of the what I try to just bring it down to that level. That there's more than just their immediate circumstance that's that's happening. Absolutely, and if you if you can get somebody to look up, I mean that is a that is a step in the right direction. That's why classical art is no replacement for religion, right? But classical art is um, such a wonderful thing because it co- it it, re- it causes you. It's a, the word is anagogic. It means that it, it requires you to look up, 
and classical art requires you to look at perfection. And, uh, and of course, it's unattainable in the physical world, but it does something that modern art does not do. Modern art celebrates ugliness, truthfully. Um, it keeps you... Well, gr- by design, right? Yeah, That's its absolutely. intention. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the... Um, I mean, modern art, modern architecture, like you're talking about, like, like Bauhaus architecture, just like machines for living. It doesn't do anything to elevate the human spirit. So anytime you can get somebody to look up, that's the idea. Yeah. Um, to start focusing on things that are, like, eternal and beautiful and uplifting. So if these stories are meant to guide us in that direction... If if we can come full circle, sure. Because I I know there the uh, the setup was into the next point that you want to talk about. How inside um, baseball? <laughs> how how is it? You know, if I could just come right, right back right, 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 right. with it. How? Who who who's the baller? That was me, man. Phone calls. How is it that these um, these stories? that get us to look up, to get us to think beyond our immediate circumstances, whatever, that challenge us, how come they're perceived differently when read by changing the characters? Or even if you'd never change the characters, a woman reading the Odyssey is going to see it differently than a man reading it. Why do you think that is? So the... uh, Okay, so yeah, so the importance is... um, Men and women are men. Men and women are complementary, and so we have to when we when we read these the stories, any kind of like hero's journey, any any story like this, um, it has to be on one level. We talked about the difference between fact and truth, but on one level, it has to be believable. Which is going to sound kind of terrible, but let me explain. If a man, um, so let's say, uh, uh, let's take Odysseus. Let's take Odysseus as an example. I assume a lot of people have been exposed to the Odyssey, maybe in grade nine or something. Maybe, and forgive me if you haven't been, but Odysseus ends up in a cave with a Cyclops, right? The Cyclops is a beast. He's an animal. He's a savage. He's completely uncivilized, and he's supposed to represent that kind of element of society, the uncivilized element. He's completely uncivilized. Does it represent that within us too, or specifically within the stories that only society yeah for, for the for the ancient Greeks uh, they had this belief that the macrocosm and the microcosm were the same thing mm-hmm. so essentially everything can be looked at uh, every, every character every situation can be looked at as something that exists out in the world but also in you okay so, so that the, makes sense so the god pan exists out there um, or the, w- with uh, his goaded legs um, as kind of like a, a tempting spirit, but also that that nature exists in you too. The appetite exists in you also. Um, in in the case of the Odyssey, Odysseus ends up in the Cyclops's cave. Um, the Cyclops, uh, uh, so he doesn't. He's completely uncivilized and barbaric. He's and, and so what he does is like an inversion of what is expected of of a good Greek person. Instead of welcoming his guests and feeding them, he intends to to eat them. Uh. Um, now now look if. Um, Knowing that people would come to him disarmed because that's like breaking a unsaid truce almost, or not a truce, but like a well, customs I, oversee. I don't, I don't know. I I get what you're saying, but in the, well, in this case, um, in this case, it's because Odysseus sh- uh, shipwrecks. He gets blown off course, and um, and he uh, he ends up he ends up there and. Uh, it doesn't matter if he's armed or not because the Cyclops is also massive. So it, it, the weapons oh, okay. really do nothing to him. Yeah. Um, but but it never nevertheless like Greek the Greek citizens were bound by um, I believe the word is I believe the word xenia. I believe that's um, the the doctrine of hospitality. The ancient Greeks were supposed to uh, 
to show to their, their strange strangers. And so um, he violates it. He inverts that. He intends to eat them. But look, it would be a completely different set of circumstances if it had been a group of women who had been captured by the Cyclops. I mean, in the sense that um, what happens to, to men in savage, uncivilized lands is different from what happens to women in savage, uncivilized lands. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd be facing a different kind of violence. If you, if you take my meaning. Like if we're talking about like... Mm-hmm. You know, right. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, for sure. Um, one of the interesting things um, about like what you're suggesting, and I, I mean, I don't disagree with you, but I think it's... Um, there are... I know quite a few like... What's the right word? I mean, I don't want to just use the word feminist because it just feels so like... Like blankety and that's a good shorthand, but though. we'll just call I mean, it like we, I know I know many feminists and like one of the things that like they would I don't know uh, the, the, uh, like I, I think maybe the culture at large too wants to reject it is literally the difference like because so I thought for for a really long time that what people were really maybe offended by in the like in toxic masculinity quote unquote or like. In, in like this cultural like patriarchy society is like that men are higher than women mm-hmm. like that they were objecting to that and I think maybe they were at first um, but now the new objection is that we're actually different uh-huh. uh, but like what like even like like what you're suggesting in the story suggests that like yeah like women who are captured by savages are violently treated differently than men are treated by their captors. Absolutely. They're, they're both treated violent, but the violence is not the same. Right. And that, that is, that's so interesting because it's, um, uh, yeah, originally the idea was, yeah, that men, uh, that, that men at least perceive themselves perhaps in society at large to be superior to women. Um, and the irony of course is that, and of course I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush here. Uh, yeah. You're going to find few feminists, um, who are also ardent, or zealous Christians, you're going to find few. I would say, mm-hmm. if you take the big, the, the overall picture of feminists, um, I'm not saying they don't exist. Of course, they're they're they they exist. But but the point I'm making is yeah, they're Episcopalians. <laughs> yeah, like Sinead <laughs> O'Connor. Oh well, no, 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 she's a Muslim. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, <laughs> the um, the interesting thing is that you know women w- were seen as equals f- in, in in the West uh, uh, at. With the advent of Christianity, that's like the first time you hear of like female, for example, in Roman households, female slaves resisting their masters' sexual advances with uh-huh. the advent of Christianity. Yes. And you have um, you have Christian martyrs who are women. You have Christian teachers who are women. Or what you said in the beginning, the Theotokos being higher than men. Uh-huh. Right. All right. So you have the Virgin Mary who in historic Christianity is looked at as the supreme Christian. Right, absolutely. The one we all look to to say that's how. I mean, and, and what's really funny is you'll you'll I, you'll notice this even in in liturgics. Um, uh, we'll read for the Theotokos. So one of the verses I think Protestants use sometimes to talk to Catholics about the Virgin Mary is they'll say, you know, um, 
uh, what somebody said, uh, Jesus, someone says to Jesus, your mother and your, you know, your mother and your brothers are here and blah, 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 blah. And they're special. So we need to do some, you know, we need to be, treat them specially. And Jesus says, blessed are those who keep my commandments. Right. And so Protestants use that as a way to say, see Catholics, she's not important. Mm-hmm. Jesus, you know, they're, they're trying to tell Jesus, go, go take care of your mother. And he's like, she's not important. The people who keep my commandments are important. And what they miss is he's saying she's important because she keeps my commandments, not because she's my mother exclusively. Right. All right. So like, but what, but like that goes back to like this sort of elevation of women that we see in, in Christianity. Right. Right. Absolutely. And, and so, I mean, and speaking to your second point, the idea that people want to erase distinctions between men and women, I think that's dangerous. And I think that, that, that can only really happen when you have a, I mean, that thought can only be entertained when you live in a society that's relatively safe. Yes. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> man, I, this is super interesting. Um, one of the things my boss and I have talked a lot about, um, and and some of it relates to Jordan Peterson because he he he's been like interested in Jordan Peterson. It is this sort of like safe culture that we live in, and, and how like one of the things that's unique to us in America is how war is always far away close if you're in in the military right um but if you're a civilian living on american soil like we've 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 never seen war right like ever and and not since the civil war (laughs) i mean right and that's so, how good this all works. Yeah, I mean, because right. it, it it's not like there aren't people who want to just absolutely annihilate us. Yeah, and I'm not. I mean, and I'm pretty like anti-war as it is. But like, I'm. But we we're we're so safe that we have to make ourselves unsafe by like erasing gender distinctions. Yeah, and you know that really that's it's crazy because. I, f- I feel like even if you look in classical literature, there, the idea, I guess, is that there was before women's liberation that men just like hit women on the head and dragged them around by their hair. But I mean, you even read classical literature. And um, oh, so, for example, something that's that that is still meaningful to a lot of young people today. They can still get the uh, the reference is the um, of course, the movie 300, which is not uh, historically accurate. I don't. I think that I don't think that bears. I haven't seen. Yeah, you never have seen you seen? Have you seen it? Mm-hmm. I haven't. Yeah. It's definitely worth a watch. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. It, it it's gets, entertaining. It is entertaining for sure, and it gets some things right, like a lot of the dialogue that um, is right out of the historical texts. Um, but anyway, something that is interesting is that there, there's a, uh, a the interaction between the Spartan men and women was actually based on a real thing that was said, um, kind of like uh, ritually by the women to the men. And the idea was that uh, so the men would be leaving for battle, right? Mm-hmm. And the women are giving up their sons and their husbands for battle. Oftentimes, uh-huh. that means you're going to die. And um, what they would say to the men is that you either come back with your shield or on it, which which uh-huh. which means you either come back victorious or dead. Yep. Um, and there's no in between, so they they would not harbor any cowards. Now that means that the the women were having to steal themselves too, because that's not an instinct that's natural to like mothers to tell their kid, yeah, you better die, yeah, right. Um, and so, but but how central was that to the culture? Like because men are always trying to impress women, uh-huh. and and you have you have you have a son, mm-hmm. I have a son too. That starts right at the beginning. Uh-huh. Um, 
Anytime my son does anything, he wants my mom to see. My yeah. Mom, well, that's weird. <laughs> Oedipal. We'll get, to, we'll get to Oedipus later. <laughs> he wants uh, He wants my wife to see it. And, um, you know, it's if I see it, it's okay. It's almost like it's incidental. Yeah. But that that's like the strength of a community is is recognizing that the interplay between men and women and how men and women make each other come alive. Yeah. And uh, to kind of try to erase those distinctions, it's really to do violence. And it, and it only... And at least like my my short experience on this this earth, the only way that that really happens, it takes a lot of of propaganda to yes. make people believe that that's a that's and reality. I mean, I think violence is the right word. Um, it, like I think it's very violent to do that, and I think um, propaganda is a, a, a yeah a one really powerful way to do that. Really powerful way. Right, and 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 so like. Uh, this is in, um, I mean, we could talk about in classical literature, the, the interplay between men and women, like um, how in, uh, it, this is, the Aeneid is not read as often as the, the Odyssey. This is another ep- epic poetry. This is by a, a Latin Roman author, Virgil, um, written, uh, he wrote it actually for Octavius Augustus Caesar because they needed a national epic. Every, uh-huh. every nation needs an epic. And um, do it, we? We had uh, who do we have like Lisa Grass or something? We have one of those guys. I, yeah, I'm not up to snuff <laughs> on American lit, but uh, but I know we had something. We had something like that in America. I, hmm. But I mean, it, the country that birthed us, England, had uh, Paradise Lost. That was their national epic. John Milton took okay. um, the class. The class he gave uh, English Christianity its own classical epic. But um, in, in Virgil's Aeneid, I mean, right at the beginning. Uh, there, there's a sequence where he sees his wife, Creusa, but essentially the Aeneid takes place right as Troy's being burned. Troy's being burned, it's been sacked by the, by the Greeks. And um, right at the beginning, Aeneas, is, he has to leave. He has to found the new Troy, which is going to be uh, uh, Rome. And when he leaves, he doesn't want to leave because he, he can't find his wife and then his wife's ghost appears to him and tells him, like, you have to do this. And so he, uh, he throws his, his, his father on his back and he grabs his, the hand of his son, and they walk out of Troy together to found a new Rome. And so it's like like all the imagery is there. Like the whole family is there represented. Mm-hmm. Like men are spurred on by women. He would not have left if he had not had the blessing of his dead wife. Um, but also men are responsible. This is kind of a, a, side, a side point. Men are responsible for carrying on the tradition of their family. This is why Anchises, uh-huh. his dad, is on his back. And you're also responsible for, for handing that tradition off to your children. It's a huge, hmm. incredibly weighty responsibility. Dude, yeah, that's awesome. It is, uh, and um, and it isn't just a tradition. I think uh, you know Cormac McCarthy. Cormac McCarthy is one of those authors today who I think is like just phenomenal. Doesn't get a. I mean, he always gets a lot of attention, especially after the Coen Brothers movie No Country <laughs> for Old Men. But um, he doesn't hmm. get the kind of credit he needs because uh, he's a brilliant writer. He's a bit of a nihilist, probably a gnostic, but a bit of beautiful writer nevertheless. And and um, did, did you guys see the road? Or, or read the book? No. I did see it. Okay, yeah, I saw it. I didn't read the book, so I cheated. I read a lot of his <laughs> yeah. other books, but uh, this is my... But uh, I have on good... It's uh, dark. For sure. Gosh. For sure. I don't think there was a, a happy ending. I don't remember. I only saw it once. I was like, oh, I there didn't... There is at the end. There is at the end? Yeah. Okay. Because I, I feel like I walked away from that movie the one time I saw it. Like, yeah, oh, well, this well, whole thing was bummer yeah well <laughs> Cormac mccarthy has this kind of thing that runs through all of his books like they're all connected thematically even though they're not connected in their, in, like in terms of the narrative but and uh you guys probably saw no country for old men or maybe 
Yeah. Yeah. So like, I've seen I've seen it. I don't think so. Should I? Yeah. Oh, dude, absolutely. I mean, it's really dark too. Like, do it when you're in a good place, like mentally, <laughs> emotionally. Okay, check back in a year. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> um, uh, it's so like at the end of uh, No Country for Old Men. This is not really a spoiler, but because it's not really related to the plot, it's more related to the theme. But uh, uh, what's what's Tommy Lee Jones's character? Mm-hmm. He says that he has this dream where he's like riding on horseback. And his father rides past him carrying a torch. And the crazy thing is that his dad died when he was young. So he's older. Tommy Lee Jones is older when he's telling a story than the age his dad ever reached. But he's riding in front of him carrying a torch mm-hmm. to kind of light the way. And that's that's in the, um, in the road. At the end, you know, like I think they even have a discussion where like his job is to keep his son alive so they can keep the torch alive, like the torch of like reason and civilization. Hmm. And he hands him off to another family who's like who's like an intact family. So like I mean, there is there is a little bit of hope at the end. I mean, the dad gets to see his son taken care of, mm-hmm. um, and and the, the the tradition carried on. But uh, so um, but uh, so, so this 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 idea that okay, so it isn't just it isn't just a tradition. It's that. But also the other thing, when um, when Aeneas throws his father in in, uh, in the Aeneid, when he throws his father Anchises on his back, it's also the acceptances, the acceptance of all the difficult truths in life that men have to bear, like mm. for your children, like knowing that um, that you're going to die, and that the world is harsh, like accepting all those lessons that your parents had for you, hopefully, um, and then also carrying that forward, the and and. Like, could it have happened if it was a, a woman raising um, her children? Yeah, but it would have it would have broken out in a different way. It would have taken a different form. Um, mm-hmm. and 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 I mean, like this. Uh, we talked about this uh, last time. This, the idea. Okay, like so. Even if even if people reject this idea, like the idea that there's a distinction between men and women, and that in our in our like cinema, um, uh, we we want to see everybody the same now. They may say that. But I find that like uh, in entertainment, it actually like is, is more traditional than than you would expect. And it's um, there's a writer. I can't say his name right now. I'm trying to. Uh, but anyways, there's, there's a writer who wrote a book um, all on um, the phenomenon, how po- the popularity of horror movies like in the 80s, in the 80s and the 70s. Mm-hmm. And um, there's it's interesting because. These movies, uh, if you go to see a horror movie from the 80s, like you, you're seeing something that you think is kind of like, I don't know, counterculture because you're going to see like a lot of nudity mm-hmm. and a lot of like over the top violence. Yep. Um, but the, the point that he made, which is interesting, is that uh, and this is the point they make in the Scream franchise, too, is that um, the only people who are ever murdered are the people who are having sex. So it's like there, <laughs> there's this tr- there's this transgression because it's transgressive sex too. I mean, if you're uh-huh. talking about like a nor- like heteronormative heteronormativity, you know, um, heteronormative society, it's a transgressive sex because it's always sex with people who are like, first of all, they're drunk, probably stoned, and then also they are um, they're not married, and uh-huh. it's like in a tent or in a sleeping bag <laughs> <laughs> or in a cabin, right? Right in the woods. Uh, right, that's right. That's right. Yeah, um, I was in the woods. <laughs> And, uh, and so it's like people, like, they accept on, a, on an unconscious level, perhaps, they're like, these, it's okay for these people to die because they've done something wrong. Uh-huh. But they would never say that out <laughs> loud. They would never say, that's, that's wrong. Like, no, there's two adults, like, enjoying each other. That's it's totally cool. But everybody kind of accepts that. Whereas, like, when innocent people die, like, air quotes innocent, in a movie, it's way different. 
Like you watch a, mo- a horror movie where like a little kid dies and everyone's like, oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like totally. it starts out like that. Uh, right. For effect. I, didn't, I haven't seen the new. I haven't seen the new it, but the old one. Yeah. Same like his thing, little though. brother. Yeah. His little brother, little Georgie. And that's like. Uh, and his name's even Georgie. It's hmm. not even George. It's right. like quite obviously yeah. a young youngster. Right. Yeah. And it's not a feel good. Like it's not a slasher movie that you go to and eat popcorn to like it. You know, it's like no. you, f- you feel bad the whole time. <laughs> you feel s- gross. At least the original. I haven't seen the new one. Maybe the new one's different. I heard a lot of jump scares in the new one. It's yeah. There's a lot of fast cutting, like quick. I I don't know. I I liked it. I liked it a lot. But did you like it as much as Back to the Future? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Dude, I don't know if I like anything as much as Back to the Future. Honestly, I love Back to the Future. Like <laughs> so all, funny. all three. I, the second one is sort of like eh for me, but I and I think I just like the third one as much as I do because it's kind of like a western. You know, they go old west on it, and yeah. it's so fun to watch him interact <laughs> with, um, his, like his great great grandparents. Like he just like you know he goes like. The DeLorean gets him back like there, and then all of a sudden he's in this like Irish, this Irish immigrant home. Yeah, with you his know great, what? great, great grandparents. And yeah. Perhaps more than any other time traveling movie, that movie is so tied up in like um the kind of the responsibility you have to your ancestors. Oh yeah. And your descendants. Totally. And um it's uh, it's such a crazy movie because we, we were talking about this last time, the um Pythagorean why. There's this uh there's this uh, ancient Greek kind of like belief, but it also appears in the Old Testament of the Bible. We remember, like, we were looking at that verse in Proverbs. Yeah, yeah, last yeah. Last time yeah, that, yeah. that appears in appears in the Septuagint, uh-huh. but doesn't appear in the King James. That uh-huh. um, th- there's this thing called the uh, at least when I encountered, it, it's called the Pythag- Pythagorean Why. And basically, um, in every story, in every uh, in every real hero story, there's a moment where the hero has to make a decision between two alternatives: the left hand path and the right hand path. It first shows up. In um, secular literature, in uh, this this fellow named uh, Prodicus, and um, it's called the Dream of Scipio, and uh, th- there's this scene where Hercules is becoming uh, he's on he's on his way to become a hero. So he's still a young man, and he has to make a choice at this crossroads between the left hand path and the right hand path. The left hand path, there's like a beautiful woman who's scantily clad. She's enticing him to come on. She says, you know, if you walk this path in your life, you're not going to suffer. It's going to be easy. It's a, it's a very gentle slope. Um, and then he, he's like, you know, okay, I want to talk to the woman on the right-hand path because she's not saying anything. And she's clothed very modestly and kind of demure and not even making eye contact with him. And she's not made up. But he's like, I want to talk. I want to see what she has to say. And he asks her what her name is. And she says, well, my name's Virtue. And that, that lady over there, her name is License or uh, Wantonness. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, what she says is true. If you take that gentle path, you, you won't suffer. You won't have to work a day in your life. But you're also not going to gain any glory for yourself. Your life will end in shame because the person who looks to reap where he hasn't sown is a fool. Mm-hmm. And the only things to be had in this life come from work and sacrifice and suffering. And it's called the Pythagorean Y. And it, because, you know, if you take the letter Y, it looks like a crossroads. Uh-huh. And that's where it comes from. So anyway, anyways, it's interesting because this is back to the future. Uh, back to the future, the, the whole thing that, that makes change possible, time travel possible. The uh, flux capacitor. capacitor. It's a Y. It's a big Y right in the DeLorean. (laughs) That's right. And uh, and the word flux, you know, uh, in in Latin means like fluidity, like change. Capacitor, like the thing that allows change to happen. So like in Back to the Future, what you see at the beginning of the first Back to the Future, you see what happens to a guy, a hero who chooses the left-hand path. 
and his life is a total mess. Um, and this is where we're talking about the interplay between men and women. Uh huh. This is where uh, where that comes into play because you look okay. We don't know why exactly at the beginning, but we do once you've seen the movie. Spoiler alert, it's like 30-something years old now. Yeah, if maybe like 34, more. 34, <laughs> 35 years. Yeah. 1984, right? Yeah. You, you see... 85 uh, or something. You, you, yeah, you, it was it was, uh, it was 85 because he, he goes back to 55. That's right. Uh, That's right. He Yes. Yeah. And we, we went back 30 years now. It would be like in the 90s, right? Like or late 80s? Late, yeah. yeah. Oh, I late can't believe 80s. I woke up and uh, MC Hammer is popular. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> it would be... Iron Maiden for me. <laughs> oh yeah, Iron Maiden. Right. Yeah, but they, they never and had Nintendo. the Nintendo. They don't have yeah Nintendo for sure. Iron Maiden never had like the kind of mainstream success they probably should have had, right? Like, I mean, they they were big, but like it wasn't always like in a certain like circle. Like they weren't MC yeah. Hammer big. Yeah, yeah, they were. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. No, they're they've always been so giant. Yeah, but it's like because their fan base is loyal. Like they're like they'll they'll pull a crowd anywhere they go. But they were never anywhere like of. A stadium, like stadium size, a hundred percent every time. But they weren't doing like it wouldn't be like Adidas, like an Adidas commercial. You know, like MC. Oh, Hammer, I see what you're do saying. You remember, yeah, yeah, you yeah. remember, like in Living Color, MC Hammer had that song "Too Sold Out to Quit." They did. <laughs> Too sold out to quit. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, but uh, oh, that's funny. Uh, so, 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 like, and and so you have this the dad in Back to the Future. The dad's a total loser. Um, his wife, as a consequence, she can't respect him. So she's a yes. drunk, right? Uh huh. Um, he's still afraid of Biff, who's uh, you know, the bully from high school, yep. and, and it's like his boss somehow. Yeah, that's right. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he works for him. Yeah, and he, yeah. Or he's the boss of Biff, but Biff, I, it no, was no, no, a, no, 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 no. He do he, I have it right? The first he time? becomes the boss of Biff like, later. He, once he punches, once he punches him out at the dance. Oh no! Well, I, I don't think he's because at the end he's a writer. But I, Biff is working for him. Well, Biff oh, he's right, right to wash the car. That's right. That's right. That's right. One washes the car the first time, then the other does. Yeah, it. yeah. yeah. Like, it. Biff crashes it. Yeah, yeah because crashes not what? Ah, uh, okay. I'm because Marty. Up. I'm let you guys. Take yeah, because well, no, no, no. Because Marty, Marty helps him change the past, which right. changes the future. That's yeah. right. And so, and so, so like that movie is awesome because you get to see what happened. Like, I mean, in its narrative economy, I mean, that movie is like what, like ninety minutes long, maybe. Like when you watch it as a kid, it feels like an epic. But you sit down and yes. watch it now. And um, the narrative economy is insane. And the setup and payoff on that is like no other movie. Um, the um, I once got in a long conversation with these two guys. So, it doesn't matter. Okay, the setup and payoff is huge. <laughs> okay, they, 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 they pointed that to me. But um, th- so when you watch that movie, so like you get to see okay the consequence of taking the wrong path, and then Marty McFly goes back in time, and he helps his dad choose the right path. Uh huh. And you see all like there's uh, you see all of the consequences play out of doing things um, the correct way. Um, so like in, in the movie Lorraine, oh, and there's so much edible stuff in there. It's it's okay. So obviously, <laughs> yeah. Oh my sure. gosh, yeah. yeah. She's in Calvin. love. Calvin. Yeah, she's right. in love. Yeah, because he calls himself. <laughs> oh no, they think he's Calvin Klein because his, his name, name on his underwear. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then but his, mo- totally his mom. Yeah, his mom's all in love with him and. She wants to hook up with him, and he's like, "You're my mom." <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. And and, and the thing is, like, um, uh, he you know he kind of like awakens that in her, but it's pointed in the wrong direction, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and because he does something that um his dad never did, but he shows his dad how to do. Uh huh. Because he, in, like in the in the film, the reason that Lorraine falls in love with him is because his dad. We find out why. But his dad was uh, up in a tree, fell down, and then her dad strikes him with his car. <laughs> yes. And then she kind of like nurses what him did, back to health. What did he say to like 
I had another, was it like a hippie or I had another <laughs> one of these hippie kids or I don't know, like don't a kid know. in a tree. There's always, I don't know. I just thought it was really <laughs> funny because it's always like, He's like the hot daughter, and he's like, these damn kids right, are yeah, in my yeah. trees. <laughs> <laughs> right. These perverts. They're, yeah, they're all peeping. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they, they say so, peeping Tom? No. That might have actually been it. Oh, <laughs> dude, I have the movie. I'm going to go watch it. Yeah. Another peeper. <laughs> That's so funny. Like, people just hung out in trees with binoculars. That's creepy. Now they have Snapchat. Oh, uh, that's creepy. A, uh, a chief, right. the same thing. The Snapchat is also creepy. Yeah, it is. Uh, things are, yeah, they think it's so much simpler. If you wanted to be a pervert back in the day, you had to put some legwork in. Yeah, you had yeah. To. Yeah, yeah, you had to really, you had to really go for it. You want it? You probably learned something along the way too. <laughs> yeah, like you could fall out of a tree and get run over by a car, <laughs> and then find the love of your life somehow that you were creeping on. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So it, okay. Tell me if this uh, derails us, and then sure, I can. We can come back to my question after you're finished. But does that also say that you? Okay, I'll give you a little little backup. So at Catechism today. Uh, we're learning a little bit about inherited sin, right? Okay, right. And my, my thought, you know, in the moment, and I've had this thought before, was if you're handing off something ridiculously stupid to your kids, why have kids at all? Why is this even a thing? Like, why do we value this so much when we know from jump we're giving them hardships, at the very least hardships, if not full-blown addictions, full-blown whatever, fill in the blank. And you just touched on something I thought was interesting. He redirected his dad right. down the right path. Right. He's there no matter what. I'm just kind of curious. What, what do you think is that? Do you think that is real? Like almost as a, whether it be actual or maybe some sort of metaphor for changing our own direction from what we've been given from our parents. What do you mean exactly? Do you mean that like kids are salvific or what What are you asking exactly? Well, I don't know because it just came to me. Like, I guess just exactly that. Like he switched the, the, the path of his own dad who came before him. Right. Right. And set his dad on the right path. Right. Do Do you think that's, somehow represents what we can do also with the burdens and the pains and afflictions we've been given at birth. Oh, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Th yeah. And thank God, you know, that, um, that these sins aren't our destiny because, because we're Christian, right? Because we believe in Jesus Christ and, um, and we're born again in baptism. And so our, so like we are not, um, condemned to commit the sins of our fathers be because we have this, because we have the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Like there would be, I mean, really, if, if we were just locked in some kind of like predetermined, um, well, there's an entire religious system based on this, but if we were locked in this, <laughs> <laughs> but if we, if we were just locked in some kind of like predetermined, like puppet show, you know, um, yeah, there would really, there would really be no point, but, uh, but no, thank God that's not it. Like our history is not our destiny and, um, and, and our children, if we have, if you have children, uh, children are salvific in the sense that they require you to die to yourself. And if you don't have mm. children, um, you can be that in the life of your parent. You can call them to attention. And, um, and, 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 and so, I mean, 
we are which Marty McFly did absolutely yeah right? and, yeah because he had the, he, he had, wasn't a a coward like his dad that's exactly right but see look he had a different fault because he's a hothead and that plays out through all three of the movies mm. uh, yeah yeah right mm-hmm. and especially in um. It's it's in uh, it's it's done most obviously in um, the third one your favorite or not I don't know if you said it's your favorite but you said you liked it a lot I think the th- yeah I think the first one's my favorite but I really I don't know why I always like the third one I think the third one's entertaining uh, and uh, and and so like he has you know yeah you're right so they they kind of like save each other and I mean um, you man that is so true you see that your sins you see them come out in my experience you see them come out in your children oh yeah for sure. You really do. It makes you realize what a piece of crap you are, too. I mean, not you, me. Yeah, I, I know, mean, like I, you, the general, the you. general, you. Yeah, yeah. you in general, ye. Yeah, yeah. All yeah. Of us. <laughs> no, it's uh, a. <laughs> and, and the other thing, I mean, I think answering your question a little bit is, um, like, well, I guess maybe Jesse already answered it, but, <laughs> but like your your kids, like when you talk about inherited sin. And like passing on bad things to your kids, right? Like, like of course we're going to pass on bad things to our kids, like because we have our own bad habits and our own bad ways about us. Um, but even genetically, right? Like, I mean, and and well, some things genetically, sure. Um, I mean, and that that can come like in the way of like all sorts of different things that may or may not have anything to do with sin, quite frankly. Um, but like your like alcohol came up a lot, or. You know, stuff like that. I mean, those seem to be those seem to be like obvious examples, right? Like these are right. like sort of well, not everyone examples. is gonna listen to this and say, "Oh, sin, sin, sin." My life is that you know they may sure. not even think on those terms. But one of the things I think, like that question, even sort of presupposes is that like you you like you want a life without struggle. Like we should mm. only have ki- we should only have kids if we can provide our kids a life without struggle. And like that, maybe so, maybe and, that's and, true. And I think because we already know they have an ending too, which that alone, even if they had a perfect life, if it comes to an end, that alone is tragic. Oh man, yeah. Oh geez, yeah. Right, I mean, I, I don't mean to be a bummer, but I'm just saying, even if we didn't hand, so I'm my especially in the moment during catechism, I was feeling a little down about things. I'm like, oh, I have to go to confession. I have these things that I have to do. And I have to reflect on these things that I don't want to reflect on. Yeah. And then it's then that maybe it's better. It, it was just a thought I had and I needed to get it out. And maybe there were catechumens that maybe had the same thought at some point in their life. So I was like, maybe it's we're guaranteeing them a hard life because life is a struggle. Sure. And then we're guaranteeing them a tragic end. Yeah, I like think, it, it just I sounds think, so pessimistic. I know, and that's why sure. I try to clear this stuff up. I mean, I think I think the uh, part of that is just like, I, I, it, I, it literally goes back to to the path, right? Um, like having a hard life isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like that's not like that's not morally bad. You could have an easy life and end up a complete train wreck of a person. Yeah, which um, is kind of what we're talking about. Yeah, anyways. yeah, which, yeah. Like the, which, yeah, which is why it, no, that's just why it made sense to me, and I'm glad that I can connect it because I don't think my brain is firing on all cylinders right now. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's almost 10 p.m., but, which for me is like you know bedtime. But that's okay. Yeah, for sure. But um, but yeah, no, I think I think like I mean in in my own life, my own struggle is I want to provide like. I, I don't want my kids to struggle. I want to give them as much as I can. Right. And 
and sometimes I have to like sort of take stock of what I mean by that and what that is. Right. So like, I mean, something for me, like just like, uh, like personally is I want, I want to own a home for our kids because right. I think owning a home will like provide something super stable, um, that like is ours. Um, that doesn't mean we have to move like every two or three or four years or whatever. And I, um, I did that as a kid and it's awful. And, and I mean, and this is something like my wife and I have to talk about a lot because like we can't afford a house in Southern California. Who can't like very few people right? can. And so, and so she's just like, we have to like, you, you have to figure out what we're actually giving to them. That's important. And like maybe uh, owning a home right now in the next like couple years, like just isn't what is going to, that's not going to be the thing. Yeah. I, th- I think about this a lot because uh, I'm, I'm also renting and uh, we have something else in common and that's, um, you know, essentially single, single family, like single income family, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's, uh, I, I remember like listening a long time. You ever listen to St- uh, Stephen Molyneux? No. He's like, I a, do. Okay. he's a little contra. I like some of his stuff. He's also a pessimist. So that's I, right. It's, he's kind of like me. So I'm like, oh, he's another guy. I'm like, I like him, but I got to turn him off. Sometimes. You separate, you separate the wheat from the chaff, you, you know, got you got to. And, uh, yeah. And, um, he said something really insightful that encouraged me quite a bit. And that was that, uh, you have to be there. Somebody has to be there to raise your children. And, and ideally, it's got to be like your wife raising your children if you can make that happen. And even if that means living in an apartment, even if that means having one car, like what you're giving them is way better than like the material goodies hmm. that might be temporarily in the short run. Uh-huh. Uh, because, yeah, you know, it's, it's like life without struggle. The only things that we actually feel good about are the things we struggle for. Like that's, that's where the joy comes from. You Which... Know? Which is super interesting because we, we've like, and I say we, I just think we live in an entire culture that wants to remove as much struggle as possible. For sure. And even what's, this is really funny because like I had an experience of that this weekend and this isn't even struggle, but like we, so my wife and I went away for our anniversary to a cabin in the mountains and, um, and the only heat source in the, in the cabin was an old wood stove fireplace in the center of the room, like the center of the living room. Like a wood burning stove? Yeah, it was a wood burning stove. Um, And so um, I grew up in a house with a fireplace. You're either going to be freezing with that thing or like (laughs) blistering hot. Yes, sir. (laughs) Yep. And so uh, like I grew up with a fireplace in our house. My parents' house has a fireplace and we use it all the time. And I know, I know how to start a fire, right? Except for the fireplace has gas. And this thing was just like an old stove. There was no gas in it. <laughs> right. So like is like meaningless and easy as it is. Like we had, you had to go outside and you had to find twigs and you had to find some like bigger branches before you could throw like the wood on there and get the fire started on your own. Right. And like working on that thing for 45 minutes was like, I had the biggest sense of accomplishment. It was so <laughs> cool. I just felt so good to like work on something and do it. Right. Absolutely. And not just like push a button and have it there for you. Absolutely. And so uh, like Aaron and I, you know, Aaron and I, my wife and I have been talking about this for, for the last couple of days. Cause like, it's like, man, it felt great to just do something. I mean, and, and you know, when you're renting a house, <laughs> There's not a lot you get to do. True. Right? I mean, I cut the lawn, it's not but yours. even right. but even in even in like cutting the lawn, I'm like I don't get that same sense of accomplishment, but like you know, like we want to 
you know, do this with the garden or we're, you know, if, if we could do this thing with the fence, we would do that, but it's not, you know, you become this, it's this thing where like, Oh, you can't invest in it. Like you can, but do you want to spend thousands of dollars to rebuild a fence that isn't yours? (laughs) You you know, like, Oh man, I, I, uh, I relate to all of that. And, um, there's this thing in, um, uh, John Chrysostom has this, you've probably, you've probably read it. He has this essay. It's called vainglory and how to raise, how to raise children or the right way to raise children. Have you read it? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've read it. I've heard of it. I, I, I've read a lot on St. John Chrysostom. I don't know like if that was in something I've read. Okay. I mean, um, it's, it's, uh, okay. So he makes this, there's a metaphor that he uses that he actually, um, it seems like maybe the, the source for it was, might've been Aeschylus who was a, a famous Greek playwright, but he talks about like you, you and your, your body and your soul as like a city for God. And, and, but more specifically, you, the, your children's body and soul as a city for God. Mm-hmm. And so you have, a, it's a city with walls and gates and, and the, the gates would be like the, your five senses, you know, because th- that's pretty much how things get into your body, into your mind, into your soul. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the idea is that this is a, a temple that is supposed to be fit for God, which is, you know, it's a, it's a metaphor that's out of the, uh, the Bible. I mean, out of the, it was the St. Paul. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and, um, and, and essentially you're only going to be letting things, you're, you're going to be spending your whole life cultivating this temple for God. I mean, and that, and that is like, that's like the most important thing. Like you're building your temple, you're building your kid's temple and your wife's temple too. And, uh-huh. and, um, you know, if we come, when it comes to owning property in this life, like, well, we're all renters. We really are. Yeah. And even if you, even if you like, let's say you own a home, um, in a, in the practical sense, you never really own it. You're paying property taxes. You don't pay those property taxes, then the state's seizing it. Yep. If you do pay property taxes, you're going to die one day and you're only going to get a plot six yeah. feet deep. Or, or you're paying a mortgage for 30 to 50 years, depending on like, I mean, you, I mean, 50 years because everyone borrows against their house. Oh, <laughs> that's, what, that's why I come with a 50. Most people have 30 year mortgages, but then they borrow Gotta against get their that house. Granite, son. Yeah, that, exactly. So and then they borrow, <laughs> the, you know, they borrow against their house. Oh, look at all the equity we have. Like we can do whatever we want. Let's get a check for $100,000. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. You watch you watch too much late night TV, and you see the uh, the uh, the scam ads for the that target the elderly people about the uh, reverse oh, mortgage. Yeah. Oh, I can get uh, a reverse oh, mortgage. Reverse mortgage. They put like Tom Selleck oh, on it or something. Yeah, 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 I won't even just. I won't even go to reverse mortgages. Just so, did we put a period on what you were trying to say right there? I have a question. Sure. Because ask your question. This stuff is awesome. We can re-relate but we it. Definitely. This joke will keep me going on on topic. So I think we've stayed on topic well. Oh, okay. I stand corrected. (laughs) Sometimes. Thank you. Sometimes. Yeah, Yeah, at a topic. (laughs) It's all threaded together. Anyway, what's your question? Yeah, I don't care. People like us. (laughs) People like me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know if that's Uh, true. I've got got an apartment that reeks of rich mahogany. Many leather bound books. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) So I was thinking about this uh, tonight before we came over here. And I know that you've probably thought about this. So I I saved it in the past couple hours just for you. Okay. All right. So if our ancestors, and I'm just going to say ancestors being the West. Okay. Right. If our ancestors fought with their blood and sweat to make this world what it is, uh, comforts, ease, leisure, except, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. How, how is this not done? Okay. Hold on. 
my own stupid writing. <laughs> how um, fantastic! How how is how we're living now not what they intended back then? And how is it's obvious what we're doing is living wrong because as we addressed earlier, we're so safe we're looking for violence. Mm. But was there a, a goal for? for society and civilization back then that they wanted because they cared about passing on something to the next, to the next, to the next. Right. We've made it so far, food, shelter, clothing, excess, it's all available to us 24 hours a day. Why is this bad? Why is it bad that I sleep till 10 a.m. on a Saturday? Why is that bad? That's a really good question. I, um... It depends on who you're asking about because, you know, after the Enlightenment, uh, the view about what is good for us and what we should be seeking became more and more increasingly focused on, like, the material. So we're talking about, like, what did what were these people attempting to pass on to us? Like, what, what did they have in, view, in mind for us to do? How have we gone off the rails? Um, I mean, I guess it really depends on who you're talking about because at some point in history, the aim shifted from salvation to material wealth and prosperity and um a belief that uh, a belief that um the only appropriate use of human talent and intellect was in providing comfort you know so so where has it gone wrong i don't know that it necessarily has gone wrong i mean i think it's just like that was that was as far under the horizon as they saw perhaps and um, it's it's really hard to imagine that getting everything you want is going to be bad for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a tough lesson to learn. I, I don't feel like I've quite learned that lesson. You know, like when I pray in the morning, it's I can't really with a, a sincere heart say like, thy will be done. Because I'm always like, yeah, but, 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 but these things have to stay in place. Right. So um, where have we where have we gone wrong? Or, or, or how have we not lived up to perhaps what they, what our ancestors intended for us? I, I feel like we just maybe have enjoyed the fruits of their labor perhaps too much. And we, maybe we've forgotten what these things are for. Because it's, it's not to say that like success, material success is a bad thing innately. I mean, like in the wisdom of Sirach, we're taught to like um, honor the doctor. You know, like, like how medical technology has advanced, how it's kind of like maybe softened some of the blows that that death dealt us you know you know when our first parents ate the apple like the, the but now it's gone too far right like we like made, we made it a god I fj think. was talking about that today he's like and maybe this isn't some i don't know i don't know if he records his catechisms or not but he's basically saying like you're 85 and you're going to extend your life by a few weeks come on hmm. like really you're going to use these resources for that yeah, I mean, I think like that kind of thing. It seems it seems like it's it's about like when it get, it gets bad when it's going too far. Um, and I think you can make small distinctions in in the advances of like technology and society. So like uh, like for instance, I I mean we've talked about this in the past. I think it's super cool that I could ostensibly leave here, drive to LAX, get on an airplane, and wake up on the other side of the world. Right. I think that's amazing. I, I like. I, I think it's in completely incredible. Um, it is for sure, and, and I, I don't think that's bad that we've created like, you know, technological like uses of aerospace to 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 do things like that. 
but it's sort of like that there's a flip um too when you think about what i think you know what what jesse said about like getting every we don't think it's bad to get everything we've ever desired i've also heard that and i don't know who describes it this way so i don't want to attribute it to anyone um but i've heard a i've heard a priest say that like that that's actually the definition of hell Hmm. like the actual definition of hell is you getting everything you've ever desired oh wow um Hmm. because the whole point of salvation is to become selfless is to love the other more than yourself. Yeah, and that's not even not even just talking about salvation. Of course, getting everything you want is going to definitely get in the way of salvation, eternal salvation. But I mean, it also gets in the way of temporal happiness. Yeah, that's for like sure. uh, uh, G- another thing that G.K. Chesterton said was that um, that that I'm paraphrasing that wealthy people um, begin to invent, invent problems for themselves because there are no surprises left. And, uh, and, and I always, I talk to my, when I talk to young people, you know, people are so, me too. I mean, obviously everybody in America is fixated on material prosperity, uh-huh. but young people, especially because it's in like, I'm going to sound like an old man, which I am, but it, you know, <laughs> in the sound, we all are, now. right? <laughs> I embrace that. It's in the SoundCloud rap, Good you know, you. I'm not quite there yet. Oh yeah. Okay. Well look, like I, I feel like I've been old since I was young. I was never cool ever. <laughs> I, I missed out on that entirely, but, um, you, you know, I, I'm um, reaping it now. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, the, I, 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 I think so. I w- thank you. I was, I was a nerd. And so like, I know video games and like, I can talk to the, I can talk to the young folks about video games and I tell them like, look, like, you know how in a video game, if you input like a cheat code and you get God mode, you get everything you wanted in the game, how quickly that game loses its savor. Like the game is boring at that point. There's nothing left to do. Mm-hmm. And it's uh. like that is the same curse as having being born into wealth. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, the other way you'll notice this is in our culture. Um, like I, we'll use the airplane example again. Like you, you, you like the, like we have this amazing technology. All we do is complain about everything. <laughs> right. right? <laughs> so like, like, or like the newest, whatever comes out and people just, it's, they're not even like, it's not a, like they don't, legitimately critique things they just complain about things right right. so it's like we have the newest like coolest you know whatever and we we just complain about it brand new iphone and it didn't recognize my face immediately (laughs) yeah exactly and it's just the worst thing two times yeah and so i mean that's the other thing i notice is like we just we're not we're not happy like you i mean you said like we're just not we're not happy I mean, and and we could talk about all sorts of different things, like the suicide rate, um, right. like you know, recent like upticks in suicide rates, um, and just like this, it it just seems like a general unhappiness. One of the things that I noticed, we were in to be careful how I say this. <laughs> we were in, We were in <laughs> a really fun city a year ago, and um, we had a great time. And we were in this careful. They have cameras in those cities. I know. know you were there. We were, we were in a part of the city that's known for its progressiveness, and <laughs> we spent a lot of time. Were there were a lot of red lights everywhere. No, no, not that kind of progressiveness. Oh, okay. uh, like LGBTQ progressiveness, and um, sure. And so we were in coffee shops and and like really interesting coffee shops that were had like you know books like book like book sales and it was like you know books on sex and books on trans sex and like lesbian sex and gay sex all like like it's like very like sexualized you know sort of like part of a city 
and um, and everyone's everyone's living their best like their best free trans you know you know uh, homosexual life whatever they they choose basically um, and I, we we were leaving and I told my wife I said well, the most interesting thing about that entire being in that neighborhood for four days was how nobody in the neighborhood was happy. Hmm. Like everyone was like it was observable. You could see it. Yeah, like on them. like the people weren't they weren't pleasant. They weren't like they weren't happy. Hmm. And like that was really interesting because it's just sort of like like and I actually think this is true with with like this sort of like violent push toward um, everyone being self willed on everything, um, including I saw a ridiculous article yesterday, but it was published in NPR, and it. I think originally was picked up by the Guardian uh, in London. Uh, there was a man in, oh gosh, it was uh, it was one of the Scandinavian countries. Um, I don't. It doesn't matter. So which you one. almost want to say, of course, of course it was. Yeah, <laughs> he was like Swedish, probably. Let's just say it. Um, I don't remember if he was Swedish or not, but I think he was. He he wanted to um, change his age. <laughs> he identified 20 years younger than he was. Uh, how convenient. <laughs> yeah. Does that mean his back pain would go away? <laughs> no, but it meant that on his Tinder app, more women would be interested oh, in him. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Figures, it all comes down to sex, doesn't but, it? But, like, this this idea of everyone being just... I mean, we're really living in this, like, Nietzschean hell where, mm. like, the will is the most important thing. Oh, and your self-will is what matters. And, and like... You just have to. I, I there are so many different things that you can talk about about all of that, but I think sticking with the conversation, um, I I just it's it's very notable how the groups pushing the hardest on on this stuff I, seem very unhappy. It's almost it's almost like um, a lot of uh, the groups about which you're speaking. It's almost like if the opposition were to disappear, like would they have anything at all? You know what I mean? I, uh, yeah, I really wonder that. Yeah, what? Yeah, mm -hmm. what would they be doing? Because I mean, I, I not not in any way saying I'm you know ethically superior to whoever it is you're describing, but like if for example, if everybody having an abortion went away, like I would be stoked. I wouldn't feel uh -huh. like I lost my cause, my reason to live. No, not at all. But but, but I mean, like it seems like there are certain <laughs> yeah, there are certain camps in, in society like certain segments of society that like they live pretty much on outrage and it's because there's nothing like to, to celebrate in their own life in a positive yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not talking, I'm not, I'm not trying to like diss anybody. I'm just saying that like, um, you, you brought up Nietzsche and it's like, man, every, I feel like every Christian should read Nietzsche mm -hmm. because he's such a, a, like he has some really good criticisms of, uh, Christianity. Yeah, he, he does. When, you know, the, the kind of tendency that, um, I find myself doing this from time to time that, that some Christians have to like look at somebody, be envious of that person and say, nah, well, they're a sinner. Like mm -hmm. having mm -hmm. that mentality. Yeah. And, and, uh, and. Oh, I think that is a huge temptation <laughs> of the Christian. <laughs> oh, yeah. A very huge temptation of Christians. I've certainly fallen to it. Yeah. And, and uh, we, we generally think of ourselves as morally superior, I think, Christians. <sighs> um, and it's, it's really bad because. We also call ourselves like with St. Paul, the chief of sinners. Absolutely. And we just don't believe it. No, absolutely. It's like it's something I think we give lip service to, but um, something we have to spend more time really thinking about because, man, it's like 
every single day I catch myself do like like doing this, and it's like, yeah, but mm-hmm. think about all the terrible things you've done. Think about like you know, like like all the terrible things in your life that you don't even take account of because it's you and you're on your team. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So many. And right. Uh, and uh, and dude, like that is Nietzsche has pretty much Nietzsche has pretty much won the day, and, and, and we're talking about the culture in which we live because it's like it's just given that the will is the ultimate like mm-hmm. you you do you that's that's pretty much the refrain yeah uh and uh and it's it's funny because it's like so going back to the republic for just a second like in the in the republic it's it's socrates view obviously he's got a lot of issues if you if you ever read the republic he yeah, like if you read the republic and take it 100 percent seriously you end up like joseph stalin uh if you but uh, yeah, because it's not good. No, no, because like you know, he has a lot of stuff in there, or, or maybe even Adolf Hitler is a better um, a better anal- analogy because like Socrates, he champions things like eugenics. You know, like he d- he thinks like if you're if you're too sick to like contribute to society, you should be killed. Um, and if you if you follow like a lot of people followed his playbook and ended up with horrible like ty- ty- tyrannical regimes. But like Socrates, um, one thing he says is that essentially like, you know, you're all living for each other. Every, every section of society. And I think the Roman Catholic church borrowed this. And, um, actually I think it's in, in the Bible too. You, you, you might be able to fact check me on this, but, um, for Socrates it says essentially every, every person in society is part of, oh no, this in the body of Christ. But, but, but Socrates says every, every person in society is part of a body. Mm-hmm. So like whatever you're doing, you're, you're either you're the head or you're the heart or you're the limbs, mm-hmm. but all of us are, are essential and we're all connected to each other and necessary. So it isn't that your will is supreme because he talks about society as like a statue. And like if you try to make every part of the statue, because, you know, the ancient Greeks used to paint their statues. We see like the marble statues that are free. You, know, you probably know this. I'm not I'm not teaching anything about the statues, but like <laughs> the, the ancient Greeks used to paint their statues in architecture. So like when you, when we see like white marble in like, you know, like the forum or something, um, what we're seeing is like what time has done to these structures. But originally they were painted like, you know, to be, to look like the statues were supposed to look like people. Mm-hmm. The gods, are, they were supposed to look anthropomorphized or yeah. gods. And um, Socrates says basically like if you try to make every part of the statue stunningly beautiful, like make the eyes purple and make the make the hair like day glow, like what you end up with is you might have these different parts that are beautiful, but you end up with something that does not resemble a human being at all and actually doesn't have beauty because it lacks harmony mm-hmm. uh, if you're trying to make everything the best. And so like... So like in society, it's like if everybody is trying to be the star, if everybody's trying to be like uh, Aaron Grande or uh, Chad Mendez or I don't know who, who are the kids into. These I like days. that. I like that. Those are your uh, those are your quote unquote stars. I, I, I'm well, so, those are stars. Okay. I hear the kids talk about them. Uh, so so if everybody, what are these kids talking about? <laughs> so so if, if if everybody's trying to be these things, then what you lose out in is is harmony. Like, like you actually have to live for other people in order for your life to be meaningful to you. Um, and if you don't, what you end up with is the kind of emptiness you're describing. You live your whole life excuse me, in the pursuit of pleasure, whatever form that pleasure takes. And ultimately, it's empty. And, um, and you have like this culture, like you said, that's based on, um, based on complaints. Because people are, are seeking these, uh, these material solutions for a, like a, a, a spiritual problem. You know, and it's like, um, are you right when you said it? The the Nietzsche the Nietzsche thing, yeah, that's, that that struck me because that's that's it. Everybody is as uh, is, is do as you. Uh, well, that's that's Alistair Crowley, do as you will. But but his deal was the the will to power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I 
in, unless I'm totally missing something, because the title, you know, as it relates to manhood and education, what is the role of education these days mm, okay. in getting us back on track? I like uh, that because because that was going to be my next question is like what is oh, okay what what ha, like what yeah in what how do we get back on track? Yeah, right. That's good. Cool. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. Well, not even back on track because of the episode. I mean, back on track. No, 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 for... no. I don't mean for the episode. Oh, I mean okay. back on track as a society. Yeah, yeah. That's like right. how do we how do we get society to be properly ordered? That's and I, right. and I think maybe leading with education is a good idea. Yeah, the, the um, you know um, in John Chrysostom and in, in his uh, Vainglory, he talks about education. It's funny because he says it. He says it like as as taken for granted. He said, "Okay, well, I know." I'm paraphrasing. He said, "I know all of you parents." You're giving your kids grammar, logic, and rhetoric. I know you're giving them all the arts <laughs> and all of that just as a, as a baseline. Okay, but that's, that's not enough. We're not even at base no, right now. No, that's exactly not right. Not even close to at base. That's exactly right. Rhetoric, we think, is only that thing that Donald Trump uses. Yeah, it's, it's to, a dirty right? word. Yeah, it's nasty. It's an actual... I, I, heard did, the, I didn't even know that was a dirty word. You didn't? <laughs> no. Well, good for you. I don't pay attention enough, I guess. You, you never heard, the, you never heard the, like, when like, political commentators say, oh, his, that's just him spewing rhetoric. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's just rhetoric. Little, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. As, as yeah, opposed to a legitimate uh, thing to learn. Absolutely. Like in, because I think the Ivy League still teach actual rhetoric. I was going right? to say, do, all those things you described as, like, baseline... Like they're only taught in college now. Yeah, <laughs> some colleges. Not, I was gonna say, and some. some colleges, and yeah, and that's depends on your major. You can go if you go to if you try to become an, an English major, even at the Ivy League universities, you can get you can get an Ivy League degree, bachelor's degree in English, having taken one Shakespeare class. So it's like it's it's barely being taught. Yeah, and it's funny because like even if you say the word, oh, he's spewing his rhetoric. You're using rhetoric. And um, right. it's, <laughs> yes, it's in everything. I mean, rhetoric, you know, is, is just the, uh, the, the color most, schemes. Dude, right, it's everything. Picture, it's use like, of the available means of persuasion. So basically, like if you think about um, grammar, logic and rhetoric, the way that it works is grammar is data. Logic is the arrangement of data so that there are no contradictions. And rhetoric is the most pleasing or effective arrangement of those facts. So anytime mm-hmm. you make a television episode, anytime you make a radio show, anytime you make um, uh, uh, write a book, you tell a joke, um, anything, it's, 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 it's rhetoric. And it's like, well, you can either learn that or you can say it's passe. And, you know, Aristotle was a uh, racist, <laughs> you know, right. those are two, <laughs> the two approaches you can take. Yeah. And, and I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure Aristotle was a, I'm sure a racist. I'm sure he was a huge, like Greek supremacist, you know? Because it's like the the Greeks, <laughs> <A> Greek supremacy. <laughs> well, the, you know, uh, uh, the Greeks woke up. You know, uh, re- Martin Luther talked about this. Uh, um, that the that the Greeks committed a blasphemy when they said uh, every day when they woke up and thank God they were Greek. That's a blasphemy, because they're suggesting is that the superior to every other race. And it's like no, no, no. You're part of this general condemnation. If you if you're part of the race of like you're part of the family of Christ. Or you're not, but if you thank God because you're Greek, that's that's blasphemy. But was it, that equivalent to saying thank God we're Orthodox or literally like nationalistic? Like no, we're saying because that's what people say. Like right, the Greek Church. Well, saying saying something there's that there's something magical about your uh, ethnicity. 
is diabolical. I mean, that's like uh, sure. Adolf Hitler's, you know, like uh, Aryan. I mean, uh, so many cultures in the world have been responsible for that. And, and, and I mean, in the ancient world, you can't even properly call somebody racist because it's like, I'm sure that every Assyrian thought Assyrians were the best. You know? Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> like, like it wasn't like, uh, you know. Yeah, which is why modern culture wants to wipe away nationalism altogether. Yeah, which is also that's I mean that's totally wrong. The the, the idea that uh, that you can have some, you know, we in the Orthodox Church, if if, uh, if I may uh, if I may build up the Orthodox Church, um, the the Orthodox Church is the the only place that I've ever encountered like authentic diversity. As much as like all these places want to tout how diverse they are, mm-hmm. um, in the Orthodox Church, I see I see real diversity in the sense that I we have like Russians, Eritreans. Um, uh, so on. I mean, I could go on forever, but it's like that's that's something that I told a friend of mine that I thought the church, like capital T, t- capital C, right? The church is the only place that, and maybe we spoke about this too on the last episode. So I apologize if I'm uh, repeating myself. But the church is the only place where people who would probably normally be trying to spill each other's blood don't. Right. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Where besides a congregation will you find Africans and Russians together in harmony? Mm. Not saying they're like cats and dogs sure. or any other opposing um, whatever, but they geographically, culturally, linguistically, even with their food, nothing is the same. There's no reason for them to be near and each you can, other. And you can see this too. If you go to if you go to a Russian Orthodox church and you go to an Ethiopian Orthodox church, it's like the the customs are totally different. Yeah. Right. But it's like we all have the same thing in mind when we're going to worship God. Right. Like the Holy Trinity. And that's also why take the, the polar extremes away, like Russians and, and Africans, which are just like I don't even know how far apart from each other, like just actually. Um what about just even people we have people that don't speak our language that come to church. Right. They don't speak our right. language at all. Right. Yeah. And they just go because right. it's what they know, you know. Absolutely. But, and, uh, you know, like if uh, so, so if I could just take it back, because um, I was thinking about this is something I wanted to say, uh, you know, we'll have, an op- we'll have an opportunity to talk to you guys. But um, the concerning concerning education. OK, like so like how do we get back and, wh- and why is it necessary to get back? Yeah. Um, so like it's uh, like it's it's not first of all. Education and in, uh, in the sense of classical education, so like education, uh, it means in, in the the Latin word education uh, comes from educere, which means to lead out. And um, the ancients believed, oh, sorry, I'm too close to the microphone. The ancients believed, many of them, ancient Greeks and ancient uh, Romans, believed that education itself was like salvific. Like you could actually like save yourself by being educated enough, hmm. uh, because the uh, after you know after uh, Plato died. We have these these uh, groups like Neoplaton, Neoplatonism became like a school of thought. And the idea was that like essentially matter is corrupt innately and you can educate yourself to enlightenment. You know, we had like the Gnostics um, kind of like inherit the Neoplatonic tra- tradition. The idea with education, educate, leading one, leading a person out. It means kind of like leading yourself out of the maze that you're thrown into in this life. So so almost like just like an enlightenment because you come mm-hmm. into this, you come into this world like really confused. Um 
Uh, so like, but, but as Christians, obviously we don't see education as uh, being salvific, but it is like education is, is, is almost like baseline to get it to, to being able to, uh, to, to kind of, kind of like carry that ball forward. Like Christianity is, is an ideal that is uh, far surpasses just simply education. But like St. Basil says, like education is useful because it can help people who um, may not have the moral strength to take to reading the fathers or to take to reading the Holy Scriptures. It can, it can be a kind of enticement for them to learn about virtue and morality that will maybe help them, assist them later in becoming good Christians. And so... Um, uh, Torquato Tasso, the guy, this, he wrote uh, Jerusalem Delivered, which is like uh, an Italian Renaissance epic. He said that essentially like, like good literature is like when you put something sweet into a kid's medicine to make them drink it. And it's like, mm. and like, so it's like education can be like, it can be that it can be a step toward Christianity, but also it can be, um, a, a real vital use of education, um, before we talk about how to get back there, maybe a real vital use of education is just direction and day-to-day living. Because um, in our society... Which now, they don't teach at all. They don't teach anything about finances, how to get along no, with each no. other. Like, it's all math science driven, right? Oh, oh yeah. Like that's that's a, STEM that's, is the... Yeah. It's, it's, that's it. But it's amazing that they they expect you... And I, I know we can go off course on this for forever, especially with you two here, but... You know, they're like, we're not going to teach you anything about finances at all growing up. We're not going to depend on your parents to do it because they're, you know, depending on where you're at, they're probably where you're at. They're probably not going to do it. But please come to our school and we're going to give you a hundred thousand dollars. You're 18 years old. We're going to give you a hundred thousand dollars. You don't know anything about credit, checking accounts, savings. You don't know any of that. But come get this money. Right. Absolutely. That is insanity. And it can destroy your life if you make that decision and you made the wrong decision. I'm sure we all know people personally who have taken out huge student loans and then not been able to do anything with that. You know what I mean? Like when Fitum would visit the high school every year. Oh, oh Fitum. <laughs> you just want to throw I know tomatoes people who, who dropped like 125K at Fitum. Oh, my. And like... Like just, wow, you can draw a dress now. Congratulations! And they, didn't, they didn't even finish. They didn't even. <laughs> they didn't even finish. They didn't even finish. And then what? And you default on you can't you can't default on student loans anymore, right? You can't you can't default on them. You can't. I thought no. Well, you can. Well, they be, have programs if, that they erase. If you default, right? no, no, no. If you default on your student loans, they just garnish your wages. Oh, okay, so it's not like filing bank. You can't like file. You bankruptcy cannot file bankruptcy on student loans. No. But um, yeah, that I mean, so that, I think that's pra- a whole different conversation. Yeah. But man, is it bad? But the practicality <laughs> of life is something that they should teach, and it's the one thing that I observe on a daily basis that they are entirely avoiding. Right. Yeah, because it's gotten so bad to the point to where if a student cusses, where before that was unthinkable, if you said the f word out loud in front of an adult, the you were going to get your backside blistered, dude. Oh, for sure. That wasn't that long ago. Yeah. And now it, now this, thing, this is the real standard, and I've heard this out loud. Were they cussing at you or in front of you? Right. That's the, the difference that we like make. Like, it matters. I mean, really. Because it, and there's a classroom full of young people. Like, now those kids are hearing those words, too. 
And I'm sure if you ask their parents, like many of them wouldn't want their kids exposed to that type of language. Like parents could take great pains to keep their kids from being exposed to like vile language. Right. But if we can't even, we can't even teach them how to interact and behave around each other, then how are they going to do it outside there? And unfortunately, the the public schools and probably more and more the private schools that are falling into line with uh, public school models, they are tasked with this, but they're not doing it. Oh, yeah, they're it, willingly taking on the task of, okay, we'll raise your kids, right. but you're not going to teach them how to deal with finance. But then we look at, ah, anyways, I'm seriously tangenting well, look, could right you, now. Could you imagine, I mean, could you imagine like um, what kind of blowback a teacher would get if he said, okay, you know, today I'm going to talk to you about what you have to do to be a man. Like that statement right there, that would probably be, that'd be enough to get him in yeah. hot water. Yeah. And, and it's like, um, uh, it, it, like the, like returning to like the great books, uh, of, of Western literature, it's like, you can read Marcus Aurelius, you know, who's like a Roman emperor. You can read his diaries. And, um, and the idea of like when the English degree started, when they like, you know, the English, the English bachelor's degree or whatever is only a few hundred years old. Like they didn't have an English program before you just studied like, you know, the classics or whatever. But uh, Matthew Arnold, I think it was Matthew Arnold who said like, we want to, we want to read the best words spoken by the best people. Because I mean that that's really what the, what the great works amount to is like an accumulation of life experience going back two thousand years or whatever, right? Or no longer. I mean, if you're talking about Homer and Plato, and um, and so it's like now you're going to have situations in your life where you're not going to know what to do, and um, I mean life is full of these things. Yeah. If you have this kind of like education, you can see what people did in the past, like. Um, Marcus Aurelius, he was a Stoic, he's not a Christian. Obviously, he's not going to get you saved, but he can tell you a lot about what it means to be a man. Like one of the, one of the things that stuck with me uh, reading uh, Marcus Aurelius for the first time is he says that um, a man must stand erect on his own or not at all. Like, in other words, you can't look for people to support you. There, you're going to endure trials in your life and you have to do it alone or not at all. You're not, you, either you do it or you're not a man. Yeah. You, if you go around looking for help all the time and it's like, I think that's probably like really counter the attitude now where it's like, oh, I'll talk about it. We're going to have a, you know, we're going to have a sit down and just talk about your feelings. It's like, there's a place for that. There's a place for that. But I mean, it's like um, to, to be a man, there are going to be um, times in your life when you experience things and there, there's just really nobody you can ask. And it's like to have recourse to like education, people who have experienced things like that is like, it's invaluable. It's so invaluable. It's like, even if, even if I found out, okay, like I, I think the justification for a lot of people being removed from the canon or whatever is like, um, I don't know, like racism or sexism or whatever, right? Like Marcus Aurelius was a Roman general who definitely executed Christians for believing in Christ. Like there cannot be a more offensive figure in history to me personally, because you know, if, if I were alive in that time, that would be me and my kids and my wife. Right. But, but, I'm, I, but I recognize that what he was saying about life in many cases were true. So it's like I'm not going to like spite myself by, by cutting that out of the canon. But I mean, this is kind of like valuable things that you can get. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's also there was something. I'm, I can definitely say that I'm thankful that there are people who are holding to more uh traditional views and there are people that are doing it like 
I'm probably going to butcher this for all you Jocko fans out there, but I love Jocko Willinke. I've like just completely held on to like, he's like a modern model of like what a man does and maybe even excessively like he, I like his co-host a little bit more to be quite honest. Um, yeah, I do too. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, I identify, you know, characteristically more with um, what's his name? It, it's it's not almost not even a real name, but it's his name. I, I, it's yeah, more I don't like a word. Yeah, I don't remember. What he, what he, <laughs> it's just a word. No, like his his name is really. Oh, his name is Echo. That's his co-host's name. His name is okay. Echo. But I I identify more with Echo Charles. But what I wanted to say about Jocko was I think he was saying in a podcast, I don't think it was in his book, and like I said, I'll probably butcher this, but he was a a co-Navy SEAL was getting married, and he was giving the, the toast or the speech at this guy's wedding. And he said, you learned, you, you learned how to fight. Like, these are what men do. Mm-hmm. You already learned how to fight, and you've proven yourself in combat. Because uh, I think he was a Navy SEAL. Now, and there was something else. There was like four things. But now you're getting married. You're, it's some along the lines that you're still not quite a man yet. You're getting there because now you're learning to sacrifice for yourself. And then once you have children, now you're a man. Mm. It was something like that. Like, defend your family. F- protect your wife start a family that that's what manhood is and then sticking around for that i don't know if that's encompasses everything that we've been talking about but i kind of feel like if you were to go to the front of the classroom and say this is what men do this is how you define a man i kind of feel like that still applies yeah i mean uh it's it's reminds me of uh we talked about last time like kierkegaard's night of faith like it's becoming um in the, in this in the case that you brought up becoming a soldier is like yeah that's education in life like for a man but um but what is that education for like there has to be a reason you're doing that and it can't be just to satisfy some kind of like self-serving thing it's like ultimate like ego or right. something yeah ultimately it's going to be so you can benefit uh the rest of mankind and and that's going to be through your sacrifice you become like essentially a beautiful sacrifice like um like Kierkegaard's night of faith is basically you you reach a stage where like you become ethical and ethics become boring. Um, Kierkegaard warns against it. He says that essentially like ethic, you reach, you reach a certain stage of ethics and ethics is a good place to be, but it becomes boring um, that you have to actually take the leap of faith and the leap of faith involves that. It involves doing something that, um, that, that uh, ethically may be unsound and like getting uh, or not ethically, but in terms of rationality, reason in terms of reason, getting married is an irrational thing. And I think that's why I kind of like qualifies those criteria. Like getting married is, is unreasonable if you take the uh, the materialistic view of things. And uh, it's uh, Joseph de Maistre was this was a French uh, philosopher who who brought who raised this. He said essentially like anything that can be reasoned can be unreasoned, and so it's kind of weak. Marriage is one of those things that we continue to do for this the reason that it is unreasonable. It's unreasonable for a man to choose a single woman for the rest of his life doesn't make any sense if 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 we are just you know uh, like some kind of like um survival of the fittest thing kind of playing itself out right you know right so it's like that 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 probably is like i, I mean that's a really good 
um, way to view it. I mean, that's, that, that's the final stage is, okay, like now you've, be, now you've got this education. Now what are you going to do with it? Yeah. And it involves sacrifice. Yeah. And that's beautiful. I like that show too. So did you have any, anything, Mike? Um, as we, uh, as we close out, I think, out. I think another thing I'd add quickly is that when we talk about sort of like, uh, recorrecting the course a little bit is that I think that that, I, I think that I agree with Jesse. Um, and I really, I really like, you know, when you're th- thinking about like, I mean, for, for our own kids, you know, like classics education, um, and like just thinking about like the classics in general, but, um, but I was going to say, I think like the corrective course at this point, like it starts in the home and like all, all of the things we just talked about. Um, but including the last thing to like getting married, like you got to get married and have a family and stay married like that is a huge part of it. A huge part of it. That, that's almost a heroic act in itself now. Yeah. Staying married. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> So, so and I would you just were challenged with that tonight, right? Pardon? Oh, yeah, that's you, right. Yeah. You and I don't know if we should just be name dropping. Well, we could just no. no. say at the at the yeah at the baptism, yeah, yeah. That, we that, just but that was a challenge that was thrown that. out. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it, it's so true, and um, I mean, I think I think reestablishing a, a society where you know where where men stay married to their wives and stay faithful to their wives and. Um, to their families and their children. Um, and not, ju- and I mean, so like when I, you know, when I think about the home, I think of that primarily, but then also like taking the lead on educating your kids and having them do some of these things either, you know, either at home or in like a homeschool setting because you're not, uh, like we said earlier, you know, you're not going to go, you're not going to go study logic in school. Hmm. You might take a logic class if you, have a major that that I don't even know what major other math. If you're a math major, maybe if you're a math major, and if you're a philosophy major, probably you'll take a logic class. Dude, I just that's w- the most logic you'll get. I just read a textbook that was um, it's hilarious. Uh, and, and one of the questions in the textbook, the high school textbook, was um, th- this way it was phrased: inductive logic or inductive reasoning is when you follow a set of experiences to provide a h- hypothesis. Now use inductive reasoning to identify this author's argument. Like what? That was it. That was it. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, it's like okay, that's like that's an entire like series of books by Aristotle. But we're gonna know we're how gonna to do that re- in one yeah. sentence. <laughs> you gave us one sentence on inductive logic, yeah. inductive reasoning. Man, what, what you say is so true, and and it's I think now it's all, it, having kids and educating them is um a, is more of a hero's journey than it ever was in the past because yeah. that's not the direction society's going. No, not even you're on your own. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I just, I, I think I would add that part. Um, so, yeah. And do you have any, any, anything you want to close us out? Or do you feel like you've made the points that you wanted to make? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I could, I no could go on forever. And as it gets later, I probably will just keep going. So, yeah, no, I, I think this is a good topic. I think that, um, it's an important thing for, I mean, I know it's something we talk about a lot and we will keep talking about like within our own circles, but, um, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting topic for people. I hope, I hope so too. I hope they're challenged by it. Um, and really enact it. I, it, I, it. I think that has to be the, uh, 
the real thing. I said, take a look at uh, Boys Adrift, that book. Have you guys heard about that book? I ha- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, have. I don't think we, I have. It was at the... Yes. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. We were that's, both exposed that's to the, the only. Time. Yeah, it's the only time I've heard of it. I, I picked it up, and uh, it's it's an eye-opener, It's especially if you have boys. <laughs> 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 there's, there's, a, there's a girl uh, version, too, for people who have uh, girls who are students. But essentially, if you're not familiar with Boys Adrift, it's Dr. Leonard Sachs. Explaining why boys uh, are so checked out in our society, and it's a lot of stuff we talked about. Yeah, uh, but it's vital if if you're a parent, look at Boys Adrift. That's maybe that's my closing thought. Cool of a boy, especially very about, good. What about you, Eric? Uh, you. No, I I think that's good. Good. I I think we should uh, we should tell people that if they like our podcast, they should give us a five star rating and throw some comments down. On wherever they check out our podcast. Yeah, please do that because we've been getting a lot of um, positive feedback. Positive verbal. feedback in person. We get a lot of it. So we, we know people are listening. Which is super cool. And sometimes it's it's in places we didn't expect. Like, yeah. oh, we checked out your thing. And like today. Yeah. But yeah. But if you if you rate the podcast on on like iTunes or wherever else, um, it just it just helps us. So it just it, actually it just, does. It's it, not something it we're not begging for us, no reason. You know, it doesn't help Eric and I. It just helps the show get more views. Um, and yeah. then we are on Instagram at Start Today Podcast. Um, you can listen to the shows on Facebook at Start Today Podcast. Uh, you can go to the website, letsgocast.com, and check out all the Let's Go stuff, including our show. Um, Let's That's Go right. Comics. Let's Go. Let's Go has some merch that you can check out. So um, that's... That's where you go for that. The website yeah. is letsgocast.com. And we also have a Twitter. So I'm still learning how this kind of stuff works. And I say this but probably the show, every the show. show. The shows get dropped on Twitter, right? Everything is everything so gets can, dropped on all of so them. So you can listen on Twitter too, yeah. which is super cool. But we have a Twitter, and I decided, because I learned from our good friend and past uh, guest, Nathan Duffy, that even though you have a podcast Twitter People on Twitter specifically love when you have your own. Oh yeah, it that's makes probably, it feel more personal. That's probably true. I'm like I, okay, so I have one myself as well. Great, good for you. Uh, it's probably connected to the start today one somehow. Sweet. Well, so, uh, well, we'll catch you all next time. And uh, thanks for listening. Thank you very much. Thanks, we Jesse. Love you guys. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. It was great. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you to everyone who needs to hear that they need to be thanked. Thank you. Goodbye. (laughs) 